Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Well, very good. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see each of you today on the screen uh, as we gather together. It's kind of neat that we can come from different areas, uh, but we have a common purpose, which is to draw close to the Lord uh, and to be able to just be opening ourselves to the Word and to the Holy Spirit. So why don't we do this? Let's take a minute and let's stretch a minute. And not only do we stretch, we can worship the Lord. So we're doing two things as we stretch. Kind of get our, our bodies ready and our hearts ready. And uh, okay, so I think we're ready to go. So let's take a minute and uh, let's pray and we'll read the scripture and then we'll let the Lord speak to us. Father, we want to thank you for the gift of another day. And we particularly thank you, Lord, for this holy week as we remember Jesus, everything you've done for us leading up to the cross, on the cross and even the power of your resurrection as we celebrated on Sunday. So Father, we're just praying that as we would look at these scriptures today, uh, we pray, Father, that they would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we know you're the great teacher. I pray that you would underline to each of us the specific part of our scripture today that, that you want us to hear with fresh ears and that you want us to apply in our lives. So Lord, we thank you again uh, that we are your family brothers and sisters, and we thank you again for speaking to us. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Matthew 26. We're going to begin on verse 30 and go to 68. And uh, the background, Jesus has just been in the upper room with his disciples, and they've had the Last Supper, and they're heading now toward the Garden of Gethsemane. So, verse 30, and after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to Peter, truly, I say to you that this very night before a cock crows, you shall deny me three times. Peter said to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing, too. That Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little while before them, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, 
Let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. He left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, he is the one. Seize him. And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to Judas, Friend, do what you have come for. And they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in place. For those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once put at his, my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. How then shall the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me against a robber? For every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left and they fled. Verse 57. And those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter also was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And he entered in and he sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus in order that they might put him to death. And they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to him, do you make no answer? What is this that these men have testified against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe, saying, he is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold. You have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face. They beat him with their fists and others slapped him. 
and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you. Long portion of scripture, for sure. Okay, uh, as I looked at uh, Matthew 26, these, these chunk of verses, basically there are five areas that came to me that I wanted to share with you this morning. One is uh, what I would call Peter's preparation for Pentecost. Two, the humanity of Jesus. And three, Jesus' commitment to do God's will. Four, Jesus' love and his compassion. And last, that the scriptures need to be fulfilled. So let's look at number one, um, Peter's preparation for Pentecost. So flip back, if you would. Uh, we're in Matthew 26. I just want to read a chunk here. Uh, it says this about Peter. Matthew 26, and then verse 30. And after singing him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd down and the sheep will be scattered. And then it's saying that, look at verse 33, look at Peter's reaction to Jesus. He says this, Peter answered and said to Jesus, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away, okay? Peter is very clear. No, no, no. Everybody else, the other disciples, they may give it, not me. I am your man, Jesus. And verse 34, Jesus responds, truly I say to you, Peter, this very night before a cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And listen to what Peter says. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, Peter says, no matter what, I'm going to go to the end with you, Jesus. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And Jesus said the same, I'm sorry, all the disciples said the same thing too. Okay, Peter says, that's it. I will not. I'm with you, Jesus, to the very, very end. Now, if you flip over a little bit, I want you to see what happens here. Peter makes that statement, but he does cave in. If you look at 26. It's a little outside of the scriptures of the day, but I think we need to kind of see the entire story here. Peter says, I will not deny you. No way, Jesus. And look at verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a certain servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he'd gone out, to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were with him, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you are too are one of them for the way you talk gives you away. And then Peter began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, behold, uh, a cock crows, and you will deny me three times. And here, listen at the very end. And he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. At that point, I, I believe literally, Peter was a broken man, literally a broken man on the inside. I think he had before had confidence, you know, I won't, I, quote, big I, I won't deny you, Jesus. No, uh-uh, I won't. But he fell flat on his face 
I believe he's broken and really literally at the very end of his rope, he sees that in him is not the ability to do what he said he would do. So he's brought to the end. He falls flat on his face and he weeps bitterly because he let his savior down. I, I believe his heart was broken because he denied the one he loved the most. There's another man uh, that experienced being brought to the end of himself. Uh, that's Paul. Uh, if you uh, want to look this up, uh, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't look it up now, but write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you look at verse 8, Paul keeps saying, you know, God, you've given me a thorn in the flesh. In a sense, I hate it. I don't want it. Get rid of it. Uh, notice what Paul says. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now get this, for my power is perfected in your weakness. My power is perfected not in your strength, Paul. My power is perfected in your weakness. And then Paul says this. Most gladly, therefore, rather, I will boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak in myself, at that point, I'm strong in the Lord. I believe that when Peter denied the Lord and he wept bitterly, he was brought to the end of Peter. And I believe that was necessary before he could experience the power of Pentecost. If Peter was full of himself, I don't think he would have had that experience. So I think in love, the Lord allowed him literally to fall flat on his face so that he could see his inabilities so that at Pentecost, he could experience the abilities of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before God can use any of this, I think he has to allow us to be broken of ourselves. This is not just Peter, folks. It's not just Paul. God did that in Abraham. God brought Abraham to the end of himself. Showing Abraham, no, you can't produce a child in your abilities. No way. Both Sarah and Abraham were brought to the end of their human capabilities. The same thing holds true with Joseph in the Old Testament. God gives him a dream. And Joseph says, okay, let's go. I can make it happen. And God allows Joseph to be broken over and over and over and over so that he becomes humble. And in his humbleness, then God can exalt him. We see the same thing in David. God allows David to be broken over and over again when he's attacked by his sons, when he's attacked by Saul. And as that keeps going on, David comes to the end of David and he says, I can't do it. I can't do it. And God says, well, guess what? When you can't do it, now I can do it. I think the same holds true for us. I believe that God primarily, in many cases, allows trials and problems in your life and mine to literally bring us to the end of us, to show us our weaknesses. But here's the good news, not just to give you an ability to see your weakness, but then to show you that his power can be perfected 
in your weakness. But before the power comes, the weakness has to be woven into the very depths of our being. I shared a story back on one of the soaps, and I want to share it again, of a man by the name Malcolm Smith. Malcolm had an amazing church up in the Manhattan area in New York. Very gifted man uh, in a Pentecostal church. And he had a vision of the book of Acts. And with everything in him, he tried to bring that to pass. He preached his heart out. He labored among the flock. And he tried over and over and over to reach the mark of the book of Acts and the power of Pentecost. But it never happened. And it, he was so utterly frustrated after a number of years. He went to his board and said, guess what? I'm done. I'm over. I'm finished. I can't get where I need to be. I can't get you as a congregation where you need to be. I'm done. I resign. And they talked him out of it. They said, no, Malcolm, you're burnt out. You just need to go away. We'll send you away to the Virgin Islands for a couple of weeks. If you get there on the beach, you can relax. You'll refuel. And, and it's going to be okay. You'll come back. You can pass us. Malcolm gave into their pleas. And I love this story. He gets down there and he's walking the beach and he is ticked at the Lord. Have you ever been there? I mean, where you've been upset with God? I mean, I know I have more than once in my life. I'm sure some of us here, I would think so. And he is frustrated and he is, he is ranting and he's raving on the beach. He's upset almost with his fists up in the air like, God, why? Why? I've given it everything I have. I've tried my very best and it's not good enough. And he's going on and on. As he goes down the beach, he gets to the point where he says, God, I am so frustrated. And he makes these statements. I give up. I give up. And when he said those words inside of his spirit, he heard Jesus speak to him. I have been waiting for that. I've been waiting for that, Malcolm. I've been waiting for you to come to the end of Malcolm because now I can do something. And the words to Malcolm basically were this. Okay. I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot triumph against it. He basically said, Malcolm, I'm glad you gave up because now I can get through you and together we can build the church for God's glory. What God did in Peter, what God did in Paul, what God did in Abraham, what he did in Joseph, and what he also did in David, and what he did in Malcolm, and what he wants to do to us is show us our weakness. And trials and tribulations, I believe, show us that better than anything I know. But friends, he doesn't leave us in the weakness because, as Paul said, when I'm weak, now I can discover that in me, through the Holy Spirit, I can be strong. So that's the first thing I get from this chapter. Peter's preparation for Pentecost and your preparation and my preparation for Pentecost. Secondly, the humanity of Jesus. Friends, Jesus is not some kind of a, a super deity that's unbothered by human struggles and trials and tribulations. He is the son of God, but he was also the son of man. And he knows exactly what it is to feel what we're going through in our lives and the ups and the downs. If you look at Matthew 26, 
and look at verse 36. And it says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and hear this. And he began to be grieved and distressed. And notice what he says in verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. The Bible says that Jesus at that point experienced grief. It's almost like he's grieving. He knows he's going to die. But not only does he know that, he's distressed. You ever been distressed? I'm sure all of us have been distressed. I mean, distressed. I mean, you are upset. You're you're anxious. You're you're. Uh, oh, I don't even know what the words. You you are so beyond yourself that you're you're just losing it. So Jesus is saying that, and it says here. Um, if you look at another gospel, Luke twenty two forty four, it says, "Being in agony, Jesus was preparing." Uh, he was, I'm sorry, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Jesus says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. He says, I can almost sense and death. It, it's right around the corner. He feels it. And it, it says he was such agony that his sweat became like blood. Medical scientists tell us that when we are literally at the end of the end of the end of ourselves, I mean, you're about ready either to have a nervous breakdown down or pass out. You can break these little capillaries here uh, in your forehead. They literally pop because the pressure, his blood pressure must have been off the scale. And these little capillaries literally pop and the blood begins to come out as Jesus sweats. That means he is humanly at the end of what humanly can possibly be endured. So Jesus gets where we are. Do you feel stressed? Yeah, Jesus felt stressed way off the stage of where we experience stress. Do we get tired? Jesus was tired. The Bible is very clear. There's times that he was tired. Times that Jesus got hungry. Times that Jesus got tempted. He knows what you and I are going through. Let me give you two verses in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot, here's the word, sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. The author of Hebrews says Jesus sympathizes. He walked the earth. He feels, even today, what you feel. He knows what it is to be human. He knows our human frame. He knows the stresses. He knows the temptations. Hebrews 2, 18, the second verse. For since we, for I'm sorry, for since Jesus himself was tempted and that which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He was tempted. It says he is able. He knows exactly what we're going through. So I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know what stressor is pushing down upon you. It's very clear that Jesus knows the stress. He knows it, not just intellectually uh, up in the high tower somewhere. He, he, he was here. He knows what it is to feel stress, stress beyond what we'll ever know. He knows what it is to battle temptations and struggles. He's been there. 
And the good news I want to share with you today is it says he wants to sympathize with us. Not only does he want to sympathize with us, I believe he wants to be there to help us in our time of need. So wherever that struggle is today, that stress, that temptation, that overwhelming feeling that I'm going to just be washed out, bring that to the Lord. I believe he wants to minister to each of us in that time of our need. So Jesus was human. He walked where we walk, and he wants to help us wherever we are this morning. So number three, Jesus' commitment to do God's will. John 6, 38, it says this. Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, that's why I came, not to push my agenda, not to do my own thing. He said, I came specifically for one reason, and that is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And John 4, 34, Jesus said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He said, my food, you know what food is. We need food. Without food, we have no energy. We have no strength. And Jesus said, the most important food for me is not what I put in my mouth. My food is basically to do the will of my heavenly father. That was the way he lived his entire life. Even as a young lad at age 12, he said, I must be about what? My father's business. I'm not pushing my own stuff. I have to always be about what's my father want. I, I see what he's doing and I want to do it. But this reaches its crescendo and the ultimate trial of Jesus' life. And we see it here in Matthew 26, 39. We just saw he's deeply grieved. He's sweating blood. He's under tremendous stress and trial. And he prays. If you look at this again, uh, Matthew 26, 39. Jesus went a little beyond them. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible. In other words, God, if there's any other way, if we can do it any other way but the cross, oh, Father, any other way, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou will. He ends it, Lord, I want out of this, Father, I want out, but, but it, it has to be your will. 40, and he came to his disciples, he found them sleeping, he said to Peter, so are you men? Couldn't you have to keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, saying, this is the second time. My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. And 43, and again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. He left them again, and he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. That's heavy. That is really heavy. Jesus realized, and he had realized it probably from early on in his ministry, that someday he was going to die the most horrible death that could be possible. If you can imagine going into ministry for three years and knowing that ultimately is coming at me. If you've ever had surgery, many times you think of, oh my, 
You know, you think of it, uh-oh, I'm going to have this. I'm going to have this. And we get anxious. We get disturbed because we know something tough is right around the corner. Jesus had probably for three years known that, maybe many years even before that. Jesus knew that he would have to bear in his body the most terrible pain possible. From what we understand, crucifixion is about the ultimate of torture a human body can take. So Jesus is in the garden. He knows his body is going to go through absolute pain and agony and torment. But also mentally and emotionally, Jesus is totally aware that when he's on that cross, he's going to bear literally the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And they're all going to collide on him like a train at one shot. And that's what literally made him sweat blood because emotionally and mentally, he was stressed unbelievably. And at that point, uh, he cries out, you know, Lord, if there's any other way, because he knows when he dies on the cross, that for a period of time, he's going to be separated from his father. They had had fellowship from eternity. If you can imagine, eternal fellowship and love. And at a certain point, that's going to be broken. For the first time in their existence, Jesus knows all that. And he says, God, any other way, any other way, get me out of this. But he always says, thy will be done. So friends, my prayer for, for you and for me is that God would give us the grace to always be willing to put God's will before our own. We always have to make decisions. How many thousands of decisions are we going to make in a lifetime? And that we could always say, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. It may not be easy. I may not like it. But we have to trust that God's will is best and it's perfect and it's good. And if God allows something in our lives, if he allows it, he's wanting to bring a good out of it. So we need to embrace what God's trying to do. So may the Lord give each of us that ability to say, Lord, if this is your day. It's not my day. I don't want to run my own show. Lord, have your way with me today. Your will be done. Not mine, yours. So may the Lord give us the grace for that. Number four, Jesus' love and compassion. This is pretty powerful. If you look at uh, 2651, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached, and they drew out his sword, and they struck the slave of the high priest, and they cut off his ear. From what we think, most people think that was Peter. He's a fisherman. He's not good. He's not very good at war. Takes, takes a, a sword, tries to kill somebody, but not very good at it. And instead of killing somebody, he cuts off this guy's ear. Now, ponder this. This, this, this just blows me away, revealing the heart of Jesus. You're going through literally hell. You're sweating, you're sweating blood. You're, you're experiencing the worst day of your life. It would be utterly easy to be totally wrapped up in your own pain and your own hurt and your own suffering, that you, 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 you become oblivious to everybody else because I am going through hell. In the worst day of his life, Jesus literally, again, doesn't think of Jesus 
in himself. He thinks of other people. And we're told in Luke twenty-two fifty-one that Jesus touched that man's ear and he healed it. That just totally blows me away. We have a Savior that's so loving and so compassionate that in his worst day, he still thinks of somebody and brings healing. On his birthday, as Jesus is hung on a cross, thinking about the tremendous thy will be done, and I want to serve the Father, on the cross in love and compassion, he looks at the crowds and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's not there into himself and his own pain. He's thinking of other people. Even at the end of his life, he's thinking of other people, healing ears. He's there with his mother, and he knows that she's not going to have a son to take care of her. And he looks specifically in John. And he says, John, take care of my mom. Again, he's thinking outside of himself to other people. The one thief on the cross is crying out to be helped. And in his agony, Jesus looks at out of himself, and he looks at this thief next to him. And he says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Jesus is filled from day one with compassion and love compassion for lepers, to heal them, to restore the blind, to give them sight, to give the deaf the ability to hear, to raise people from the dead. Jesus is tremendously loving and compassionate, not just there, get this, he's not just loving back there somewhere in the past. He is compassionate today, and he's compassionate to you and I. I believe he's touched with your infirmities and my infirmities. He knows your hurts and my hurts and your sorrows and my sorrows. And I believe he wants to minister to us. And he'll do it in a perfect way and in a perfect time. So I would just encourage all of us today to, to be open to, re, to receive that love and compassion. I think Jesus is like the son. He's continually pouring out love pouring out compassion on every human being. The question is, are we receiving it? Jesus is the lover. He's compassionate. He is reaching out, but am I receiving what he's giving? Are you receiving what he's giving? Just pray about it. To me, any man that can stop in the middle of his hell and heal a man that lost an ear, that shouts so loud to me of his utter commitment to help us when we're in deep pain and suffering. And the last thing uh, is Jesus fulfills the scriptures. If you look at Matthew 26 and verse 31, it says this, Jesus said to the disciples, you'll all fall away because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus fulfills scriptures. He knows, and he quotes literally Zechariah 13.7. It was predicted way back there that Jesus was going to be struck, and when that happens, the disciples are going to be filled with panic and fear, and they're going to scoot. And that's exactly what happens. In Mark 14, 50, it says, and they all left him. We know scripturally that Judas betrays him. And we know that all the disciples, they, they scatter. 
for fear. That was predicted in the Old Testament. Jesus said, I am fulfilling it. Jesus also realized before it happened that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified, and that he would be raised. Okay? He knew it ahead of time. In Matthew 20 and verse 18, Jesus said this, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And he will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Jesus knew ahead of time this was going to happen. He knew it was predicted. If you look at Isaiah 53, uh, there's other references. Jesus knew all this was going to happen, and he fulfilled Scripture to the T. Absolutely. He also knew who he was. If you look at Matthew 26, we're beginning to wrap up here. Matthew 26 and verse 63, Jesus was brought to trial. It says here, but Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe, saying, he is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you now have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, he's deserving of death. So Jesus quotes when he says, the Son of Man sitting at the right hand. He's quoting Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus is literally quoting and saying, guess what? The Son of Man's coming again in power. I believe he's coming at the second coming. And Jesus is predicting that and saying, yeah, guess what? It's going to happen no matter what. And then I think we need to realize, they asked Jesus, you know, who are you? Uh, but even more specifically, he says in Luke twenty-two seventy, he says, the high priest not only says, who are you? And he makes that quote from Zach, uh, no, I'm sorry, from Daniel 7. He says this in Luke twenty-two seventy, the high priest says, are you the son of God then? And Jesus said this to them, yes, I am. Probably the clearest statement in the Gospels where Jesus flat out says to them, I am literally God's son. I am God's son. And wrapping up here in Matthew 24 uh, and verses 42 and 44, uh, basically, he says this. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord's coming. For this reason, you are to be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So Jesus fulfilled prophecy to the T, and he said here to the disciples, guess what? I'm coming. I'm coming. His birth was prophesied. His life was prophesied. His death was prophesied. His resurrection was prophesied. And it's prophecy that he's coming back. And he says, make sure you are ready. So I would leave you with that challenge. Are we sure? Do we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I don't know everybody that may be on here, but do we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we've accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord? So that when he comes, we know 
on a shadow of a doubt, we know we are his child and we're going to be in heaven. Basically, God loves us. The Bible says we have a great big problem, sin. We can't overcome it on our own power, no matter how hard we try. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. Because on the Good Friday, Jesus took our sin, our guilt, our shame, our whatever. He died for it. And he offers us salvation as we trust him and in thankfulness, crown him Lord. So if you never opened up your heart, I can't think of a better time than Holy Week to say, Jesus, you died for me. The least I can do is live for you. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you today just for the gospel lesson. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that, that he, he knows what it is to have skin on. He knows what it is to be tempted and to be stressed. He knows what it is to suffer. And I thank you, Lord, you said in your word that, that he sympathizes. So, Lord, whatever my brothers and sisters are going through, Father, remind them today. Remind them, Lord, that you know their pain. And that you're not just aloof and that you're, you're uninvolved, that you want to meet them in the midst of their pain. And Lord, we, we know as we've seen the scriptures, how you meet us in, in pain is with your love and your compassion. And Lord, if you can heal ears that have been cut off, Lord, you can heal us in our brokenness, Lord, in our pain, in our physical sufferings, in our mental, emotional, spiritual battles. Lord, you know, and you want to minister. So I just pray, Lord, each one on this screen would know your grace in a fresh and a brand new way in whatever struggle, Lord, they're going through. And Lord, we just thank you uh, that even in our struggles, Lord, even in our pains, Lord, as we, we lose confidence in ourselves more and more, Lord, remind us that, Lord, in our weakness is our greatest opportunity to tap into your strength. So, Lord, I just pray that what you did in Peter, that you'll do in us, Lord, that you'll break us of our own self-confidence. But, Lord, then you will release in us the tremendous power of your resurrection. Uh, because, Lord, as Paul said, when we're weak, then we're strong. So, Lord, work that out. What you did in Peter and Paul and the rest, work that out in each of us. And, Father, we just want to thank you for that. And allow us, Lord, to be committed to do your will like you have done. You are totally committed, Jesus, to your Father. Help us, Lord, to live each day saying, Lord, what is it you want? It's your day, Lord. Help us, Lord, to get our priorities straight. So, Father, we thank you for the scripture. Uh, may we hear it afresh and may we apply it, Lord, for your glory and honor. Amen.